Okay, let's just take a deep breath and center into the spot where we feel spirit residing within us, knowing that there is one life, one power, one creative force in the universe. This force, which I call spirit, is everywhere present in all of creation. There is no breath, no creation, no life, no place that spirit does not reside here and now and in every moment we have not yet experienced. As spirit moves in, through, and as all creation, it moves within me and within all of you. This all-powerful force guides and directs all life as it manifests perfection to each of us. We are all one with the one who live as me and as you. And I know today that there is peace, love, and wholeness throughout the world. We are all experiencing a time that may look bleak, but is bringing a reawakening across the world. As some are fearful, I know we live in the assurance that spirit is here within and among us. Spirit is in control, despite any outward circumstances, despite what we see and hear. Spirit is also here in our service, working through the music team, the message, and those ministering here today. And I know that spirit is working for us to give us strength, wisdom, and hope as we experience this service and move through our day. Spirit has blessings in store for us throughout all our experiences. I'm grateful and thankful for these blessings. I rejoice in our wholeness, perfection, and completeness with spirit in this moment, in this time, and in this service. And I am thankful for all of you and respond with gratitude for the privilege to pray with you today. Now, in this space of peace and thanksgiving, I release my words to law of spirit, knowing it manifests perfectly and completely within each one of us as I let go and let spirit. And so it is. So today we're talking, it's our last kind of day in the month to Sunday in a month of looking at the divine feminine and how it expresses in the universe. And so today we're taking a look at the theme of spirit as every expression. Every expression, everything we see, everything we perceive, all that we are, is spirit. Whether we like it or not, you know, it's Brussels sprouts, whether I like them or not. Spirit is every expression. And so when we talk about the infinite nature of the one and that it takes form, it's a oneness expressing as a multiplicity. It's a unity expressing as a multiplicity. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said, out of a vast universality, the spirit is individualized as spirit, soul, as soul, as body, in a unique way in each one of us. And so each of us is unique. Each of us, there's nobody like you. You've noticed that already. And most of us realize that's probably a good thing, that there's nobody else exactly like us, uh, especially having a whole world of exactly like, like us. So... We're unique. This infinite presence also, in its nature, is androgynous. It's both masculine and feminine and more beyond that. And so although we can contemplate and deepen our understanding and our embodiment of each of those aspects, a masculine and a feminine, and a more, neither the masculine or feminine exists without the other. It's a yin-yang relationship. We looked last week at the, the, the Taoist, the, uh, they call it the Daiji symbol, um, the, the yin-yang symbol. And so neither can exist without the other. They're just aspects of the one. And they 
glow constantly. However, in order for spirit to take form, it has to particularize. It has to show up in specific forms. It has to show up as your body and the chair you're sitting on and all that stuff. So we get all the forms of life on this planet. All of it is life. All the forms of life on this planet, as well as the galaxies and the universes and, and all of it, all of it is the infinite particularized, moved into particle. Well, we know that we are not just limited to this physical body. We know that we also do express as these bodies. We have these bodies to express, to enjoy, to experience life with. So in order to experience this life, there must be a form that to participate in that experience. So we have these unique bodies. In the, um, in the Garden of Eden story, Adam is tasked with naming all the life forms. Naming all the life forms. And, and we all know this is not a factual story. Uh, it's a metaphorical, it's a teaching story. And so he's in this story, that, which is trying to illustrate a point, he's tasked with, trying, with naming all the other life forms, which does two things. First of all, it establishes in the mentality that man is superior to all the other life forms. Now, we may or may not disagree with that or agree with that, but that's what it does in that story. More importantly, it acknowledges the human pattern of naming things, of creating categories to, to try to figure out life, what's safe, what's not safe, and to gain power over. You know, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush, the first thing he says is, what's your name? So we can categorize it. And so he can have a power or a relationship with it. It's hard to have a relationship with an undefined, uh, infinite you know, potential. We like to particularize. And so we do this, our minds do this, to determine what's safe, what's not safe. And to this day, we still name things, in case you haven't noticed. But as we're dealing with the ever greater view of the complexity of life, and this is not that life is getting more complex, it's, life is just what it already is. We're becoming more aware of the complexity of life. Our old ideas of what's safe and what isn't often lag behind the names that we're giving. And so that the complexity itself feels dangerous to us. The very complexity, the very fact that we're looking at a life that's more complex with what we thought it was feels dangerous or unsettling at the very least. And so today we have all sorts of words and phrases that are relatively new to many. Words like male and female are being expanded to include gay, lesbian, trans, bi, hetero, non-binary, cisgender, and more. All these labels, all these things, and we no longer live in a binary this or that world, which, by the way, we never really did. We just thought we did. Because it's not that these are new things. It's not that these didn't exist before. It's that what was previously hidden is now being brought up to the surface so that we can see it. And it's being seen and witnessed. This infinite and androgynous presence has always been like this. We're just now noticing that and paying attention. When Adam and when we named things, he didn't create them. He just attached a label 
or a name to a form of life that existed, but isn't limited by that name. And so each of us has maybe labels and names, but we're not limited. We're not just that. We are so much more. Accepting, (laughs) sometimes in our own minds, where we create boundaries, where we create rules and definitions, which don't exist in reality. One of my favorite lines in the Tao Te Ching is that the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. But we need a word in order to talk about it. And so we use the word Tao. And if we remember that, that we're beyond the word, every single one of us is beyond whatever name or category or identity we have. The word doesn't limit, it just describes. The word doesn't define or put into a cage, it just gives us something that we can talk about in a particular arena. And so just as any description of the infinite is inadequate, any label that we apply to ourselves and others is inadequate. But over time, these labels, a lot of these labels that we have applied in our minds have certain behavior patterns associated with them. If we're talking about men, men are supposed to act a certain way and women are supposed to act another way and not do these things and men are not supposed to do these things. And we we create these personas, but we're beyond those labels. Because each of us is greater than any label. The life energy that's within us leaks out and wants to go past whatever label we give. So we keep expanding beyond existing labels to reveal the full variety and unlimited nature of which we embody. During the, the several years ago when we were voting on marriage equality, one of the ahas that I had was that love is unlimited. And we keep, as human beings, trying to label who can love who. And this people from this tribe can't love people from this tribe. And people of this economic stature can't love people of this economic stature. And people of this race can't love people of this race. And people of the, uh, who are of the same sex can't love each other, et cetera, et cetera. But love is infinite. Love is bigger than that. We can't put boundaries on love. And so we can't put boundaries on the labels, on, the, on who we truly are. We can just simply describe certain aspects of ourselves, recognizing importantly that we are more than that. So as we grow, as we grow, both individually and as, a, and as a race, we move from the undifferentiated nature of a young child who has no real identity, who's just kind of at one with everything when we're very young, to beginning to create identities for ourselves. Think of the terrible twos, where we're beginning to learn to go no to everything. Think of teenagers who are beginning to say, you know, I'm this, I'm not that. And we start creating ourselves as a somebody, as an identity. And we hold on to that somebodyness with varying degrees of intensity. And so we begin to identify with certain labels and certain tribes. But as we get older still, especially if we're doing a spiritual practice, if we're playing in that arena, we may come to soften our attachment to our identities. And there's a, a lovely reading from uh, Mirabai Star in the book that we're using this month, which is um, Wild Mercy, uh, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the L- Women Mystics. And so I want to read from this real briefly. This is from her chapter of Melting Down, Dissolving into the One. And she says, Ever since you first tasted the elixir of nobodiness, maybe in the midst of meditating or grieving, 
you have lost your hunger for somebodyness. Mainstream culture conditioned you to construct a persona and defend it with all your might. The endless self-improvement project, fueled by self-loathing and foiled by the realities of the human condition, has only reinforced the illusion that you are separate from your source. But a combination of spiritual practice and tragic losses ended that game. You, for one, are relieved to surrender. Your surrender is invisible. You still go through the motions of promoting your work on social media. You make an effort to limit your carbs, practice yoga, pick out interesting things to wear. But that's not because you actually identify as an individual being, detached from all other beings or from the earth or from the Holy One. You have come to understand that a functioning ego is a necessary vessel for an incarnate soul. You don't regard your ego as a problem. You just don't take it seriously. She has a little parenthetical comment on that, which she says, which used to piss your ego off given its self-important nature, but she's getting used to it. So we allow ourselves to start to shift the waves of creating an identity and then losing that identity and then recreating it in a newer and more gentle way are all necessary. This whole process is a necessary evolution of each of us as individuals. As we loosen our attachment on these identities, we can still participate in that identity, but without the angst, without the desperation, without the, the need to be seen and, and known as a somebody, and with, instead, the freedom to play in life as an identity with much greater freedom, with much greater gentleness, with much greater joy and peace. At our last Sacred Sunday, uh, a few weeks ago, we did an exercise where we sat and we asked the question internally, who am I? Who am I? And whatever answer came up for that, we responded with, with uh, there was a, a uh, an Indian phrase we use called neti neti, which means not this, not that. Whatever idea comes up, we respond to it as not this. Whatever label we have for ourselves, even if it's, I am a being of perfect love, not this, not that. Every single layer. So we are, in effect, stripping off all of the layers, all of the clothes that we have clothed ourselves in for our ego, for our identification, our self-identification. We strip all that away. When we strip it away, we eventually come face to face with something that is not a label and not an ego based, but we don't think it, we experience it. It is not something the mind can get to. So we are our identities and we are so much more. There's no words, there's no labels that can fully describe our unique beingness, nor can they limit us unless we give them permission to, unless we move into an agreement with the labels. And most of us on the spiritual path are in the process of unlabeling ourselves, of removing those boundaries, removing those borders, of letting them soften and dissolve. So let us love our identities as the uniqueness of spirit that each of us is expressing as us. So you're perfect. We, each of us needs to be here. It's, it's Spirit wouldn't be taking the time and the energy and the thought to be you, me, all of us, 
if it wasn't necessary. So let us love those identities and love the unlimited nature of our being, which we also are and, which, and in which our identities exist. We are more than our identities. We just play within that as an identity. And we are free to play in life. We are free to move about the world. Maybe not physically at the moment, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually, yes, we are always. So this week, I want to invite you to do three spiritual practices. So the first one is to notice how you feel about new labels in general, about when you hear these various and sundry labels. What are your beliefs about how people should be? How do you feel? Should it be a whole lot simpler? Because that's what I was raised on. I was raised in a binary system. And why can't we just do it that way? Can we have an expansion going on? And be gentle with yourself if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. These are new words for what has really existed for a long time, for actually probably all of eternity throughout all of nature. These are just new words. So be gentle with yourself if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, but just pay attention to how you do feel. So that's the first practice. The second one is notice what identities you carry. How do you identify yourself? I'm a minister. I'm a father. I'm a, you know, a cook. I'm a gardener. I'm a, you know, whatever. And I am all that, but I'm not that. I'm much, much more than that. Do you view them lightly, these, these identities? Do you view them, do you carry them with flexibility? To where I'm not limited to that. So just because I'm a minister doesn't mean I have to act a certain way. Now, there are people who think I should, but I don't have to unless I give myself into, a, unless I move into an agreement with that. And then finally, the third practice is practice the not this, not that meditation. Spend some time this week daily just sitting with yourself asking who am I and noticing what the label is that floats to the surface and just respond to saying not this, not that. I'm more than this. I'm not this. I'm not that. Take off the clothes of your identity in your mind. Allow yourself to let that fall away. And see who you are beyond all the labels. See who you are beyond all the labels. Are we good with that spiritual practice? If you are, let's do a thumbs up. Great. I see a lot of thumbs up. Thank you. I want to close with a, uh, a little bit more of that same reading. And then we'll do our affirmation. And then we'll have our wonderful music team sing to us some more. Because that's what they're so good at. That's their identity. And they're more than that. The Mirabai Star goes on to say, when you were young, you recognized ultimate reality as beloved. That's a capital B, beloved. You recognized ultimate reality as beloved. And you developed a powerful crush. I know as a kid, I was so in love with God. As a kid growing up in the Catholic you know, system, I was so in love with Jesus and with God. Over the decades, your roles reversed and reversed again. You were the seeker you were the sought. Eventually, in moments of deep stillness or unbearable anguish, lover and beloved melded. Only love remained. This state of suchness looked like emptiness, but felt like plenitude. You came to understand that not only have you been connected to your beloved all along, but you are 
that beloved which you are, have been seeking. You had expected God to be the prize you would collect after the hard work of seeking God. It turns out that the object you thought of as you does not exist, which means the subject you called God also does, is not real either. You would have anticipated such an insight to be devastating, but it isn't. It's amusing. Chuckling at the cosmic joke, you get on with business. There are temples to build, curricula to develop, sonatas to compose, startups to start up. You do not buy your equanimity cheaply. Frequent firestorms eradicated your opinion on the matter. Multiple meltdowns led you to a place where your only option was to melt. Who knew that dissolving would be so sweet? And she closes it with a poem. Now the horizon is clear. Fire has swept it all away. One small bird comes home. And that small bird is the essence, the true essence of who you are. Let me get our affirmation up on the screen. Oops. And then we will say this together. So together with me, I fling off old labels and let the divine life within me express as my true nature, no words, just knowing.